Today's sponsor is Audible.com, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks with over 100,000 titles and virtually every genre of book. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere, on anything. Audible is offering It's That Episode listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. Go to audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan. It's that episode, not that episode, not that episode. It's that episode. It's that episode with Craig Rowan. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I, Craig Rowan, invite a guest over to my apartment. We watch any TV show they want. We talk about it. We talk talk about a bunch of other bullcrap. Uh, today, my guest is uh, Matt Walsh from Veep and one of the f- co-founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and the TV show. Uh, welcome, uh, Matt. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Craig. Your apartment looks like a UCB classroom. Yeah, so to be completely truthful, we are not at my apartment. Uh, we are in um, a large, empty room with a lot of chairs. A soundstage almost, really. Yeah, and sort of dim in a way that yeah. it's like really feels weird for a Sunday. And you can rehear rehe- the rehearsing music in the background. I don't there are people doing scales. Yes. Yes. Uh, so we'll probably hear that. We'll probably hear some zip zap zop and some uh, crazy bumping aids. into walls. Exactly. A lot of a lot of improv sounds. Um, so welcome. Rather than watching a, f- a full episode, I decided to pick a couple clips for you. Um, but before we start watching some clips, are, is there anything that you're watching on TV recently that like you've been super into or um, or you you hate watch or anything like that? Um, there's not a lot of time for hate watching. Uh-huh. We have three kids, so it's busy. But I've been really impressed with Mad Men this year. I stand by that being their best season. Uh, it just... There's a certain discipline to the way they unveil facts, which I find fascinating. Obviously, the art direction is incredibly interesting and yes. i love how they always tie it into the timeline of what era be it the 60s or 70s i love the way they dive into current events for those times and uh and the acting is always great so yeah i love that show it's pretty incredible this season i've i've watched every season from the beginning i feel like it's definitely sort of like had those dips like there was one season where i was just like ah, am i still with this i don't know this season was really cool but i feel like the big criticism that like I sort of have, and I feel like everybody has is like to the main character, Don Draper, John Hamm, like nothing really like matter, you know, like no matter what happens to him, he's sort of like bulletproof in a way. Um, yeah. Almost a sociopath or you wonder if yeah. he is, but he is a fact. Yeah, you're right. That's a fair critique, but he obviously does seem to bottom out at times. Yeah, like totally. He's not immune to the chaos he creates, but so he might be challenging to root for, but I, I watch it as a passive fly on the wall feeling. I don't know. Yeah, I and that criticism is as a fan, I love the show. And I feel like whenever they do something big like this year at the end of like when they started the new um firm or whatever and when they merged. When they merged that was cool and then the end of the season for people who haven't watched, like they basically it looks like he's gonna move to LA, which is something and there's like a big promise to his new wife and like it seems like a fresh start. And then he bails on that, but for a good reason, like to save somebody else from his experience yeah. as being like he he saves somebody else from basically cheating on his wife and lets him like move on. That might be a spoiler. I don't know. And I don't care because if you don't watch it's it, it's pretty convoluted. I yeah, don't think exactly. you're gonna, yeah. And poor Peggy doesn't get what she wants. Yeah. Poor Peggy. She's really sort of at the shit end of the stick. Yeah. Um, most of the time. Yeah. She probably represents a lot of women for that era. I'm yeah. Sure. It's sure it was tough. Yeah, but um and the and the other thing that I love about the show is when they actually show the work when they're like anytime they show like the ads or like the yeah. the function of the agency or like cuz sometimes some seasons they so get away from that or stuff and you're like I want to see them like come up with the cool stuff. Yeah, anytime they save the company, I'm in. I'm so into the business side of that that story. It always interests me. The accounts, the pitches, uh, him signing off on things, the way they buddy up and say, "All right, screw Suncast, we'll go this way." Like, so interesting. Yeah, it is, and I wouldn't have assumed that I have. I mean, my my wife works in advertising, so I guess I, maybe I hear about it all all day. So, like, but then I, when I see it, 
I'm like, this is a pretty badass. Yeah. And my wife is badass as well. So yeah. that's to you, Meryl. I love Does you. she like uh, Mad Men? Yeah. I think at times she was like, she does like it a lot. We watch it together. But I think at the beginning when we first started watching it was when she was just starting. And I think earlier in the seasons, like Peggy got beat down even more because she hadn't yet proved herself. So she, Meryl, who had just started the ad agency was like, well, like I get this at home and at, <laughs> at work too, you know, but, but now I think it's like, you know, she just can purely enjoy it. Um, but it is that weird thing of like, I guess, watching a TV show about what you do. Yeah. Um, so why don't we, um, I picked a couple clips from the old TV and this is the most technological, the podcast been, I uploaded them on my iPad. So I picked one, um, you are uh, a part of the show Veep, which is an amazing show. I've been watching it. And I figured we'd watch a clip from Sarah Palin's reality show called Sarah Palin's Alaska, which which I, I haven't seen any of it. I've, I've seen never, trailers for it on the whatever outdoor channel or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't know. I assume it's some channel that's sort of like a little bit further away on the dial that I wouldn't normally <laughs> choose to pick. And then this is uh, this is a clip of her going hunting. He's coming right here. Just, just wait, wait, wait till he turns broadside and stops. Okay. Go ahead, right here. Right, right. Good. There you go, baby. There you go. Okay, good. There you go. Okay, good. That's just perfect. When you're shooting, everything seems to be happening very, very quickly. Instructions flying at you, you're shooting and the gun's kicking. But then when you see that you have a successful hit, it's a great feeling of accomplishment. Okay, wait right there, sir. Wait right there. We've got to make sure it's dead. It's dead. In the words of Ted Nugent, we thank that mighty animal for living a good life and now sustaining a nice family. Okay. Feel better now? I feel a lot better now. She paraphrased him. I don't know if she quoted him. I know. She kind of quit on the Ted Nugent quote. She, uh, yeah, she, she started it but didn't finish it. She kills an elk and says, to quote Ted Nugent, thank you for this. But that's like... Thank you for living a good life and providing for a nice family. So that... I, I, Doubt I I can't imagine that Ted Nugent said those that word for word. He probably took an Indian. I'm sure the Indians said something when they killed, and Ted probably said it a little better than Sarah Palin he, would be my guess. He did it to the riff of cat, cat scratch fever, and uh, yeah, this is weird. I I have to say one thing about this, which is maybe just because I do I used to do video editing, but they don't show they show her killing the elk. But they only show the shot from behind her with the elk after it's killed. They never show, and that's just me maybe being cynical, but I don't right. know if she actually shot. She was never paired in one single shot with that animal. Yeah. And I was thinking, too, like, did they put, like, did they tie the elk's baby close to them or something to bring that animal in? Or did they put food down there or something? Well, like, yeah, because they, uh, since the listener can't see it, they basically, an elk is on a ridge, sort of. She shoots once, misses the elk's just still chilling there, and yeah. I don't know animals that well, but I know when you hear a loud like shot, they might is, take off. Yeah, they might take off. Yeah, especially an elk; they're not really uh, habitualized to seeing humans on the ridge. Yeah, I, I'd imagine that. I feel. I mean, listen. I guess when you look at a video of Sarah Palin, immediately you have to be ripping apart everything. It's it's sort of I guess easy to do. Um, and but, she said that's good when she killed. That's good. That's good. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. And then, that's the celebration. That's and good. she also said afterwards, like, I feel better now. Like as if she had so much pent up aggression or she just needed to murder something like that. It had been building up in her for so long that like finally it's like, OK, I'm, I'm contented now. Um, have you ever gone hunting? Uh, I fired guns. I have uh, a family that lived out in Idaho. So we would. Uh, go shoot guns at the garbage dump. But I don't know that I've... I've probably killed an animal like a squirrel or something, probably when I was a kid. But I've never gone hunting, hunting for a deer or any big game. Are ever. you? Would you be into it if you were invited on a, a trip? I, I might do it once. Yeah. I, I, I would feel bad, I think, if I saw that animal dead. But again, I eat meat, so I can't really preach not to... Go hunting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never gone hunting, but I've shot like a shotgun before. I've gone yeah. skeet shooting before, and I'm like really good at it. Really? Um, yeah, I went I went 21 for 25, which I That's think really is pretty good. good. Yeah. Well, I went to summer camp, and we had riflery. 
So I mean, that's a lead, right? You lead it a little bit. Is I that think the idea? so. Yeah. No, with that one, I'm trying to think if it's shot from like under us and went straight. So oh, I think it's up. like the farther away. It's not like going across the sky, okay. I guess. But uh, it just feels cool. Like it feels really, and you understand why it's like feel like people love guns. Yeah, it's crazy. The first time I fired a gun was a 22. And I fired it through like a two by four and the bullet went through the other side and it just blew my mind how powerful that thing is. Just murder people. Yeah, you could. <laughs> you could. Just. You could. Um, cool. Let's uh, let's check out another clip. This is, uh, let's see, which one is this? This is, oh, I know that you're uh, a Bears fan. You have a Bear uh, podcast that's straight up just about the Bears. Is it? Uh, it's sports comedy. <laughs> I, I, really. Listen, it's, it's pretty great. I When I first saw it, I was like, I'm not that into football, and I was like, uh, I'll give it a shot, but it's hilarious. Um, Thank you. Hopefully so, we don't stick to the Bears too much. So you're uh, from Chicago, Bears fan. I picked a clip from the TV show According to Jim, starring Jim Belushi, and uh, I'll think, I think you'll see why I picked it. Andy, is there anything I love more than a sandwich? Your kids? Only if they're making me a sandwich? <laughs> Crap, this bread's moldy. Freeze! Andy, I may be crazy, but is that the face of Walter Payton? It's the face of Walter Payton! I'll get the cigarette tupperware. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Jim, two years ago, we found a moldy piece of bread with the face of Mike Ditka. Yes, and last year, we found this piece of cheese with the face of Jim McMahon. And then the holy baloney. Yes. With the face of Mike Singletary. <laughs> and now, with Peyton on this piece of bread, we can build the sandwich of the 85 bears. This is the refrigerator, Perry? Oh, my God. I'm here to eat your babies. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I'm here to grant you one wish. And nothing too freaky dicky. Jim, I know it's your sandwich and your wish. Right. But just once, I'd love to fit in a pair of hip hugger jeans. <laughs> I wish... For a thousand more wishes. Dang, you beat the system. Yes. Don't go spreading that around. A thousand wishes. A thousand wishes! Go Jim. Go Jim. Go Jim. 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 What? Hey, kids are at the neighbors and the twins are asleep. Want to make a Jim and Cheryl sandwich? I do indeed. Hey, nothing too freaky deaky. She said what the refrigerator said. She said, yeah, in the dream that uh, Jim Belushi had, he said, you have a, a wish, nothing too freaky deaky. And then she says, let's have sex, but nothing too freaky deaky, which also insinuates that in the past he's tried some freaky deaky stuff. Yeah. Yeah, at the house. Um, the genie was William Refrigerator Perry, who yes. appeared. He wasn't ambulatory. That was a little sad. Yeah, I was, was wondering really, that. I don't know. I don't know too much about football. I know William. Refer I think to his him. health is ailing. I think he's had some diabetes issues and he's had some weight issues. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's a little frail. Yeah. So that bummed me out about that genie. Yeah, he bit. was. He was. Uh, <laughs> they put together a sandwich of members of the eighty-five Five, bears, bears, the Super Bowl Shuffle uh, mm -hmm. style bears, and uh, and it it. Putting that together gets uh, magically gets willing the refrigerator. Gets a uh, I don't know what post effect that was. You're an editor where they got the flame. It was uh, it was and flame sandwich. Flame sandwich. Okay, <laughs> that's a, that's a post effect. And then no fog or anything. I think it was just a camera cut, right? I think they did a little bit of they lightning outside. Lightning outside as a diversion, and then William Refrigerator Perry Wheelman. is in a chair, got and it. it's and I was wondering that too because I was like. The classic genie thing is that they're like big and floating, or there's something to it. Yeah. And then I saw him in the chair. And I was like, I, I assume it has to do with. I, I thought maybe it was an injury from football, but 
I think it's uh, football players don't age well. And you never see a genie in a chair. Like, whatever you expect, you don't expect them to be seated. Like, well, Aladdin is always floating. I think yeah. Shaq was a genie. He was definitely standing. Kazam. Kazam. I don't remember him coming out in a chair. Yeah, and it's it immediately brings it. To, I mean, that whole thing honestly is very weird. Like that yeah. that whole show, I've never watched according to Jim in my life. I've neither. But it like the setup is weird, and I think the weirdest part to me, or like sort of the most depressing, and that's including the part of an older football player not being able to stand, was Jim Belushi dancing. I think it was sadder that he still has a hot wife. Like, that. how did Jim Belushi get that wife? That's kind of what everyone always says. Yeah, it is. Uh, oh, God. I just, uh, there's something very sad about that. He's a Chicago, I mean, because the Belushi's are a Chicago institution. They grew up in, like, Wheaton, I think, which is just outside of Chicago. And then John went through Second City first. And I think Jim was a few years later. As somebody coming up in Chicago, is that, like, a thing that you, like, saw as something related to what you were doing, like knowing that the Belushi's had gone through like the second city or was yeah, that? Yeah, I think that is like a, there's a certain hometown, like uh homegrown, like, Oh, they did it. They came out of here and they made a success of themselves. Like when the blues brothers movie was filming in Chicago, that was as if Hollywood became Chicago. Like everybody in Chicago was following the movie. They'd open a bar afterwards. There was all these shenanigans going on. All these famous people were coming by set so Chicago, I think, for that summer felt like, oh, we're part of Hollywood. Like, it was so exciting. Right. That was like, what, 78, 79, something like that? Something like that, yeah. And they, yeah, that was like, a, I think at that time, maybe the most expensive comedy film yeah. ever made. Yeah, and they were smashing up cars all through Chicago, like doing crazy stunts and breaking things or pushing cars out of, driving cars out of the out of a building that was a parking lot into the river, like right. crazy stuff. Yeah, I remember seeing that movie as a kid, and there's, I think, one thing of like a car jumping and like falling from the sky. Like they tried yeah. to do a bridge jump, and I was like, this is insanity. Yeah. That must have been pretty crazy. For, yeah, they kind of had free reign of the city. Chicago's like, please do whatever you want. I think, yeah, the, the sort of, like the mayor was just like, sort of do whatever you want. And they were sort of lawless, like, because the Belushi and Ackroyd, I think that was probably Belushi. I mean, not the apex, because he died from drugs, but probably within that realm of like oh we're full on into this like cocaine and yes yes uh, yes and they bought a bar when they were in chicago they bought a bar so like all the comedy people knew after hours after second city where the the new generation was performing or people around town would go to this bar they owned and they were just basically like operating a speakeasy where you had to know somebody to get in, and it was crazy. That sounds, yeah, like it could not happen now. <laughs> like, because no. they did that in New York, too. I think with Saturday Night Live, they had a downtown bar that they bought that was just like. Really? After, yeah. Oh. And now it's like a nice bar that's probably not owned by Dan Aykroyd, but might serve his uh, Crystal Head Skull vodka. <laughs> I haven't had it yet. I have had it, and it's it, fine. It's triple distilled through diamonds, I think, or something like that. Um, have you seen the advertisement for that? I have. It's big in L.A. on the uh, Hollywood and Vine area, the club area. There's a lot of uh, billboards or signage. So. He has a video specifically about um, that, and he talks like for 10 minutes about the science of it and sort of the mysticism, and you're like, this isn't a joke. And like he's, and then you think in a way, like, was Ghostbusters to him not... Like, even though it's one of the funniest films, like, it's so good, but you know supposedly the original script was like 300 pages and it had much more of the ghost stuff. I think like, he does believe in a lot of that stuff. Like, or he's obsessed with it, yeah. There, there's a Netflix documentary called like UFOs Unveiled or something, Unrevealed, and it's just obviously like a guy who somehow got a contact to Dan Aykroyd and was like, can I sit you down for like three hours and interview you? And Dan Aykroyd's smoking and sort of sweaty and it's like recently and he's just talking about specific like you think those do you think gas um those lights up there were gas uh explosions or whatever the government said and it's just him like talking to things and then there's some B footage that's not like B roll that's not good and it's weird. Like yeah. it's pretty amazing that he has that side. He's had an incredible career, by the way, Dan Aykroyd, like he Crazy. He's, a, he's amazing. Yeah, crazy. A, a, a genius of our times. And, like, <laughs> I mean, he created, like, the blockbuster comedy. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, kind of had a unique style on a sketch show that probably wasn't as typical. Like, Belushi was sort of, like, Gleason-esque, if you will. Like, he carved out a more unique persona, I think, in a, in a very interesting way. And for as a young man, into his mid-30s, he was very, very... Uh, crazy successful yeah crazy absolutely a ton of great comedy films 
quick reminder that today's episode is sponsored by Audible.com. Go to audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan, C-R-A-I-G-R-O-W-I-N, for a free audio download and a free membership. We've got so many books, and there's more than just books. We're just talking, we talked a little bit about John Belushi uh, and the Belushis and Jim Belushi, and they actually have this awesome thing on uh, Audible. They've got National Lampoon Radio Hour Classics, so they've got all these shows from the early to mid-70s with people like Belushi, Chevy Chase, Gilda Radner, Billy Crystal, ever heard of him? Christopher Guest, Bill Murray, Harold Ramis, and more. That's really cool. If you've never heard a National Lampoon Radio Hour, why not do it on me at audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan. Or if you're into the Jim Belushi mood, because we watch a clip from According to Jim, why don't you download Real Men Don't Apologize by Jim Belushi, narrated by Jim Belushi. Is that okay for you? Is that enough of an incentive for you? Downloading that for you? All right. Let's get back to the episode. Why don't we... Um, cool. We're going to move on to the next the next clip, which I believe is. Oh, I found this on YouTube. This is the UCB. This is um, from a t- Today Show. Um, from I don't know what year it is. Maybe you could let us know. But this is a prank. You guys went to the Today Show and did it. Anyway, Al's got to check the weather out. What's happening? Everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> so we like that. Hey, we got a young man here. Uh, what's your name? Alan. Alan. Yes. So uh, what's the deal? Well, the deal is I came to New York to uh, 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 raise awareness for little Donnie disease, magnumus oblivio phallicitis, and I also want to me- propose marriage to oh, a very oh, beautiful oh, oh, woman. Oh, oh, what, what's your name? Alan. No, her name. Karen. <laughs> a little nervous, are you? Yeah, I am very nervous. Little Donnie disease where's, is very where's, important. Where's, okay, where's Karen at? Karen is in Chicago. Karen, are you there? Hello. Hi, Karen. How Karen. You doing? Hey, back Hi. off. We want to work. I'm sorry. Build this up, Alan. Okay. Settle down. How long have you been dating this guy? Oh, two and a half. Two, Be two. honest. Alan. I'm sorry. Settle down here. We're not going to do this. Now, settle down. Karen, how long have you been dating? A couple of years. A couple of years. All right. He says two and a half. Anyway, he has something he wants to ask you. Okay. Go ahead, Alan. Karen? Yes? Two bucks. Will you marry me? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Little Dolly! Oh. <laughs> I love you, Karen. Love you, too. <laughs> Karen. Okie doke. Let's go. Uh, let's take a look, show you what's going on right now. Oh, my. No more coffee for Alan. <laughs> That's amazing. There's a slow motion version on the internet too, which is incredible. Of uh, Besser's uh, bouncing up and down, yeah, bouncing up and down. To describe to the listener, we went to the Today Show probably 1999, and we had a sketch on our show called Little Donnie. It was a boy who had an enormous penis who he was unaware of, and so I was the the distraction to eventually pull Besser in front of the camera. So we had to wait. I had to call my sister, and after the interview, I said, "I may." Get on the air tonight. Just if they call you, say your name's Karen. And so all that stuff, like me and my sister talking, she's like, how long have you been dating? She's like, I don't know. And I'm like, two years. Like, <laughs> Wait, so no she rehearse. didn't, you didn't she, sort of give her that? I didn't give her anything. She's like, what's going on? She's like, I got to go. But the, someone from the Today Show might call you. Just say you're Karen, and I'll, I'll talk to you like I'm going to marry you or something. She's like, all right, I got to go to work in 40 minutes, you know. <laughs> So she's in Chicago, so I call her, and she says yes, and I was so nervous that we're going to get in trouble. And then Besser had these tearaway shorts. He pulled off his tearaway pants, rather, and uh, he had a giant dildo hanging from his shorts, and I pulled him right in front of me and, and Al Roker's face, and he just starts bouncing up and down. And it's uh, My favorite part is it's like she says yes, and you go, yeah, yes, and you go, little Donnie, like as if that's like like to a viewer that's actually just watching it. It's like, what the fuck? And he's just bouncing up and down a huge dildo. It's It's amazing. Were you – now, did you – after that, did they like – like usher you off or were they like forget we bolted no we bolted we got out of there we learned our lesson when you do stuff like that you just get away don't hang out because there's a lot of cameras there and then the next day or two we used to do bits at conan and one of the security guys they had kind of put a picture up around conan that these guys had somebody had done something like this recently so they're like what almost like we were criminals and then one of the security guys at conan said come here he's like you guys did that thing i'm like yeah and he's like all right you're cool come on and the conan people were very nice about it. And I actually got uh, an original tape that went out over the air 
from one of the editors inside the NBC like main vault. He's like, here, I didn't give you this. That's so amazing. they were so on board in a very quiet way because we were all friends with the Conan people. Like, that was so funny. That's real. We but they couldn't, yeah, we can't say that. Come on in, come on in. It's but, an unofficial yeah. stance, but yeah. we yeah. love it. Yeah. Was that, I mean, were those things, because I feel like I've seen at least one other one at the Today Show. Was that like nerve-wracking to do or were you just like... Very nerve-wracking because you get there at like 4 in the morning or 3.30 and there's a lot of people there and you don't know what's going to happen. You're just riding out this two-hour show and they interview people and I had a very lucky to get interviewed because I had a sign that said marry me and they picked me and they screened me to make sure it was real and then they go okay wait around if Al has time he'll get to you in this next segment and then I'm like telling my sister uh, it might happen that's so t- that's so, and that also makes me think of like if somebody was really doing a proposal and then they're like Al might get to you if they didn't get to him what would yeah. they do I mean <laughs> you wouldn't get to propose on the air yeah, yeah. and then you'd have to fly home be like <laughs> I, I I just wasted a ticket to New York, <laughs> like, or I have to propose to yeah. my girl like somewhere else and figure out a whole new thing because that's a big. I mean, like proposing is no matter what a nerve wracking. I would hope they wouldn't fly by themselves to New York. I would hope they were there <laughs> yes, yeah. in New York for something else. Right, right, right. At the time, um, now was this during? Was this? Um, like during the time that the Comedy Central show was, this was during, when it was airing. So this was like your sort of gorilla. It was either between season one and two or two and three. Right. Uh, it was like gorilla way to keep the show out there or something or to keep a prank. But it, it's interesting now because like now with the internet, if this was, ha- if this happened now, this would be like, oh, you know, a big thing on the internet and sort of circulate. But I feel like in 1999, you do this. It doesn't, it's like obviously amazing and badass, but it, I feel like the impact is it's, it just shows that you guys are there, but I don't know how, like how thing it's weird to think now, like how things worked only like 12 or 15 years ago you know what i mean there was a that was actually probably pre-cell phone in a way maybe not pre-pre-cell phone people might have had little terrible cell phones but i feel like that was almost like pre-cell phone so it was like for viral videos back in the day people had like bootleg tapes these things that were hard copies they're like you got to see this this is a guy in a winnebago making a commercial and losing his temper jack yeah but you had these hard copies and they were sort of I think they were called bootlegs. Like, Besser had a lot of weird ones. He, he cultivated a real good library and that stuff. And that's how it traveled. So people in the scene or in the know probably knew about yeah. that a little bit. But it wasn't out there. Like, that thing went on YouTube probably five years ago, right. maybe. And, I mean, that also, to be fair, like, the Today Show has, like, 2.5 million viewers. So probably, like, some they'd probably people are like, what the fuck was that? You know, yeah. like, no matter what, that's definitely, like, getting people's attention for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's cool that it's, like, guerrilla style. And Yeah, my uh, mom saw it and was very disappointed with me. Yep. Very disappointed. <laughs> that's a hard one to explain. But, I mean, she know, had to have known of little Donnie. I think she just heard, because my sister didn't know it was happening on the other end. And she's like, I think Matt's going to be on the Today Show this morning. <laughs> so, again, she had no idea what she was watching, and then she sees Besser. She did do a great job, though. I have to yeah. give her props. Like, it sounds like one of the, like, I mean, having her... A be... normal, awkward proposal. Exactly. Like she goes, sure. <laughs> like, what woman says, sure. <laughs> I gotta yeah, go to work. Sure, yes. And then the, yeah, I gotta go. Karen and Alan. Um, and then I love, he goes, oh boy, Alan, we gotta stop giving you coffee or something. It's like... It doesn't really... He does not reference the... And then huge... Wilford Scott, or the guy after him, right. says something. Oh, I didn't get the full clip. That's okay. But, uh... You can check that out. Um, we've got two more clips. This one is, I figured, my friend just suggested this, uh, Jim Santangeli said, uh, to watch a classic comedy clip. And I Love Lucy was the number two, on TV Guide's number two best comedy of all time behind Seinfeld. Really? Or that was on Wikipedia. Really? Which is sort of surprising, not that, I mean, I love Seinfeld, but... I Love Lucy, I guess I wonder how they even decide that, because I Love Lucy is now so dated, but they have to, like, keep it... Bless you. They have... You're saying, how do you choose between Seinfeld and Lucy? I mean, how do you choose in general when things are so, like, this isn't... You can't really compare the two things. They're such different eras. They're not, like... This, obviously, I Love Lucy was groundbreaking and the biggest show, probably, of the time, but, like, you watch those two together and they're not even, like, in the same... No, Seinfeld's kind of more postmodern when you say it's yeah. like obviously we've seen three or four generations of sitcoms and we're not going to do what you normally get in a sitcom. It's going to be really mundane and self 
self-absorbed people. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So it's sort of a response to these types of sitcoms. So it's interesting. But nonetheless, I figured let's pick the, I think, the most memorable moment from I Love Lucy, which is the Chocolate Factory. Um, iconic, yes. Most iconic. So let's check that out. All right, girls. Now this is your last chance. If one piece of candy gets past you and into the packing room unwrapped, you're fired. Yes, ma'am. Let her <laughs> oh, this is easier. Yeah, we can handle this, okay? Amazing. Such a simple bit. It's such a great setup. So the setup is that the boss is like, um, "I'm good. You got to put the chocolate in the wrapper, and uh, if even one goes through, you're fired." And then it's and then the little belt holding the chocolates that they have to wrap just speeds up, and it's it's hilarious. And I bet it wasn't scripted, right? They probably just told them because they seem to have three or four camera angles, but uh, I bet it was loosely scripted, right? It seems to me like that, and. They, I mean, I have to imagine they must have done tried filmed it at least twice. Like, I mean, but they, the, the, I think my favorite part about it is there's one. That's a live audience, right? That, that's what my favorite part is. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's one piece of chocolate that sort of looks like it's getting past Ethel, and you can hear the audience go oh, like they're oh. in. They're like, oh no, it's gonna go in, and then she grabs it, and it's like one of those refreshing things that you forget, especially with, I mean, with TV comedy, like. That's what actually happens when it feels really live. Like something can actually yeah. happen and there are like stakes in the scene. And I mean, it's hilarious. They yeah. just start popping the chocolates in their mouth. That's kind of like a silent movie gag. I'm sure it was borrowed from a Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin movie. That sort of scenario of like you have to wrap it. And that thing that you're wrapping is also edible or you can put yes. it in your mouth. I guarantee that's happened, right? Like, that's, yeah, that must be something. Yeah, and that, yeah. It feels that very vaudeville, that. classic. Okay, start the conveyor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got to believe somebody did that. Yeah, and it, it's nice to like, I feel like, um, I mean, I guess you have to sort of compare it to According to Jim because they're the two sitcom shows, but it's like, they're, they're both broad. I mean, this is yeah. like, but with the Jim one, it's like the, I mean, I guess it's a dream, but the reality seems so strange to begin yeah. with that you're like, what the hell? With this, it's like simple situation. They're just working and they don't want to get fired and that's it. Yes. It's like a, a great setup. Did you, I mean, did you ever watch this in reruns or anything? When I was a kid, Lucy was on a lot. Yeah, it was in black and white, and it was, uh, I grew up in Chicago. I couldn't tell you what, WGN or WFLD had the reruns after school. And also, there was two other Lucy shows. There was like, I believe there was a Lucille Ball show where she worked with Mr. Mooney after this one, post her relationship with Desi Arnaz. And then she had another later one. She was very old. Or older for us, probably 60. But she probably looked like 70 because of smoking. And, smoking, you know. and she forced the red hair on herself, which was incongruent with, you know. But, uh, yeah, so then she had another one with, uh, I think Ethel probably made it through a couple of shows. But she had three three big shows. This is a little trivia that I just found out. I'm reading Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, biography on my toilet, and... Uh, and that's the name of it. Yeah, that's what it's called. On my toilet is the by name. Arnold Schwarzenegger. By Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've mentioned this so many times on the podcast, but I guess when you read a 600-page book on the toilet, oh God, it's really? like it's so long. But I, uh, I love Lucy. Lucy was one of the first people to give Arnold uh, an acting job, and she was like really supportive of him at the beginning wow. of his career. She, I guess, it was like. Um, a TV movie, I guess like her and Jackie Gleason would sort of do like special, like, you know, cause they're the big people of their generation and they continue to do shows, as you said. 
and he had this small part as like um, a, mas- a masseuse, and he was just supposed to be like a big brute or something that she was, you know, probably attracted to. And he like hardly spoke English, and she sort of like was like, "No, you're the man for the job. This is really funny. You look funny," and like, and she sort of like. That was like one of his first acting jobs ever. That's kind of cool. Which is really sweet. weird. Yeah, yeah, it is. That is kind of cool, though. Giving um, him a break like that. Yeah, I, I guess she was one of the first like tel- big television stars, right? Yep. And uh, I think they defined uh, the sitcom. Like a lot of the innovations, like the way it was shot, the three camera setup, and uh, the live audience. I think they kind of defined the way sitcoms were made for the next, you know, decade or so. Yeah. I have to assume it's probably that and the Honeymooners. Honeymooners, yeah. Honeymooners came out of, I believe, a variety show that Jackie Gleason hosted. Right. And oh, because I think they used any, yeah, they used, that was like a family that they had within the variety show. Yes. And then even afterwards, that's when, when they would do the specials, I think it would even follow the family, like they'd sort of like continue going with it, which yeah. is crazy. And the other weird thing about that show is that I found out is that they're only like, I think it was like one or two seasons and only like 30 episodes altogether. Something like crazy small. Short. Where it's like, isn't that so weird? It feels like this iconic thing that I guess it plays like every New Year's or whatever. So you feel like it's infinite episodes. Yeah. It played, that one played a lot too in Chicago. The Honeymooners were on late night at 1030 on one of the, whatever, off the main dial channels. Um, Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty, it's like one of those things where it's like comfort food, just you can sort of just watch those. And and I I think, I gotta, I don't know, I know Jackie Gleason improvised a lot, they seem to, would kind of just show him the script and then him and Art Carney especially would just kind of run off each other and they knew where they had to be and they knew kind of the beats, but. That's what I've heard. Very like open, like almost like a stage act. Which is so amazing too, because you feel like nowadays that would be such a danger, you know, like what I mean, like. That that's how new TV was, and obviously that's how good they were. That yeah. they're just like, just come up, uh, just show up. We'll show you the rough ideas, and you just go for it. And that's like, if you did that now, I mean, you'd have to obviously have the most amazing people possible. But it would just be like, there's so much money involved now that they, I don't think you could. Yeah, they wouldn't gamble, and it was also like you said, he was so good because they did so much live performing. Like someone like Jackie Gleason when he's on the Honeymooners, just say he's 45. He'd probably done 20 years of hosting shows and roasts and whatever. Like, it was just such a stageman. So that guy's like, oh, I can do it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Do you guys on uh, on Veep, do you guys improvise a lot? Or is that... Because uh, it it's very well written. I mean, and the storylines are very, like, really tight. So I can't imagine... But I know a lot of... I mean, obviously, you and a lot of people improvise as well. So I wonder, like, is there are there moments that it's like that? Just lines or... We use improv in the rehearsal process more than anything. We spend, first season we spent four to five weeks rehearsing in between blocks of shooting and we would put scenes on their feet, put the script down off. And so we would get a script coming in and the scripts are really well written coming in, but there's always problems that Armando, the guy who created it, or uh, the writers. So they want to figure out why this isn't working and or something's missing. So we'll put that on its feet. And there's also the feedback from us Who's, who are like, well, I just came out of this scene. I, like, A, I don't need to be in this scene. Maybe I'm not in this scene. Or B, I actually would be talking to her because that's where my head... You know what I mean? So right. it's kind yeah. of like informing the story from your point of view, if you will. And they want that. It's like very collaborative. And then oftentimes just bits that we're doing end up in the piece. Like we did something with Julia where I was giving her jokes and she turned around and she was... I think she was like, oh, pretend I don't see me leave the room. So we tried it. And it ended up in the show. It was like that was a bit. great. Yeah. The firefighter jokes, right? Yeah. 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 It's really funny. Yeah. And that's funny that you said the thing about like, maybe I won't be in the scene or like, I'd be thinking about this because I was watching an episode and I thought there was something really nice and seamless about, I forget which character or what situation, but it was like between scenes, but the characters still seemed to be coming out of like another situation yeah. that wasn't mentioned. And it just felt like seamless and more real and well-written than I feel like a lot of comedies do. It was just very like well done. Yeah. And like you said, the shows are very well written, so they don't necessarily need us to like create jokes. But on the day of filming, too, we get leeway to do like one or two takes sometimes, where it's just like, okay, just hit the beats, but keep it moving. But you're not, you're not like Jackie Gleason. You can't just show up. No. And- <laughs> 
can't show up drunk, and <laughs> drunk from my hotel room with food all over your shirt. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So this is our last clip. This was uh, I asked people on Twitter to give a suggestion of best and or worst clips on uh, TV clips. So somebody named Tempt at Humors sent this to us, and it is the Star Wars holiday special. Um, and this is uh, one of the opening clips from it. Starring Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. With Anthony Daniels as C-3PO. Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. R2-D2 as R2-D2. Jones as the voice of Darth Vader. Introducing Chewbacca's family. His wife, Mala. His father, Itchy. His son, Lumpy. With special guest stars. Chris Arthur, Art Carney, Diane Carroll, the Jefferson Starship, Harvey Corman, and an animated Star Wars story on the Star Wars Holiday Special. Lumpy keeps getting bossed around, right? Can't find any solace. Yeah, Lumpy, that is, I mean, that's unreal that that exists. So basically, um, we should watch the intro of the show, which names everybody, which I thought, the my, something that I think is weird is that they say, and James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader, but they don't give credit to the guy who's walking as, who's, that's an actor, you know what I mean? Like, there's somebody else yeah. in that. Th- I mean, I guess that makes sense, but like, they give the name of. Uh, well, C- Chewbacca doesn't get a. Peter Mayhew doesn't Peter get Peter Mayhew a, did not get a, a shout out, and it's his. It's his episode, really. It is, and uh, I I went to Comic Con last year, um, and Peter Mayhew was there, and he had a booth, and nobody was approaching him and i sort of asked somebody i guess who'd been to comic-con before he's like yeah he comes to every convention like not even just comic-con like every convention and uh so like people he's sort of like burned himself out you know like everybody's oh. probably got in the the got their peter mayhew signature at some yeah, point yeah exactly wow. which is sort of and then some, what does he look like just a tall and like old and yeah. sort of like a little i guess a little bit beaten down and then somebody was telling me yesterday that is he british i wonder I think he is British. Yeah, he sounds very British. Yeah. Somebody was telling me that he was uh, blocked at an airport like last week. He was trying to bring a lightsaber on a plane, and they like didn't realize he was Peter Mayhew, and like gave him. Sh- I mean, like, come, like that's really depressing. <laughs> that's really depressing. I'm going to a convention, I sign lightsabers for a living. This is not a functioning weapon. Please, I'm Peter Mayhew. This is literally like all I Let me walk like Chewbacca. (laughs) Yeah, weird. Yeah, prove it. And then he has to like... I wonder if he's the voice of Chewbacca. That would be my question. I think he is. I could be wrong, but I think he is. And That's pretty good because that's a good impression. I mean, that's not easy. Yeah, that's... Some people do it, but let's be honest. It's not the real Chewbacca. And even you watch this here now and you see his... Well, first of all, it's weird that... They say in introducing Chewbacca's family, his wife, Nala. And it's like Chewbacca as a character doesn't even make sense to have a wife. Like he's he he he's with a pirate. Like isn't right. Harrison for uh, – um, 
I'm now playing Ken Harrison Ford's characters. Han Solo. Han Solo. He, like, isn't he basically like a pirate or just like a... That's what I would assume, but maybe it's like Deadliest Catch where you go out for six months Ooh. and you do some runs and it's dangerous, but you make big money. And then in the off season, whenever the pirate season isn't right. hot, you come home and, you know... He's in, he was the ice road trucker of his time. Yeah, kind of like that. Like, you got to go away where the work is, you know. Yeah, and uh, I guess that makes sense, and that's why the first scene opens without Chewbacca even. Oh yeah, because they're saying, uh, sorry, the scene before the intro that I didn't put on here is uh, is uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca in their ship, and and Han Solo's like, "Don't worry, we'll try to get you back to your family for Life Day." That's right. That's the holiday, right? Yeah. 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 Um, can you imagine this now? Like there's, like you were saying, well, this introduced Bubba Fett. Yes. Which is something that actually came out of this, I guess, um, that lasted. But that was like the biggest, one of the bigger blockbusters ever. And it was immediately big. So they're like, I guess let's capitalize this. But now I think Star Wars takes itself so seriously or like, and its fans do, that I guess they have Clone Wars and they have cartoons and stuff. But to have the original actors in this thing where it starts off with literally gibberish talk, uh, like yelling is I don't think that could exist today. No, I think because in the 70s, there was a lot of latitude for like sort of psychedelic or bizarre stuff like uh, guys like Jim Henson, Lucas, Sid and Marty Croft. There was a lot of like trippy stuff that was in the mainstream. And this, I think, I want to say is the tail end of that. I think that that is still part of that movement. I don't know what you would call it if it was like post-60s into 70s TV trippiness. Yeah, it's weird because it's both that, but it's also a holdover for like the holiday specials, which was like the yes. Bing Crosby yes. thing. So right. it's like this weird like... It is a blending of that. You're right. Because it is the have, classic... They have the B. Arthur. They have like the... Look, Art Carney, who we were talking about from Honeymooners, like bringing... Harvey Corman. They had old school comedians coming in. So this is supposed to be like the whole family's involved. Like your grandpa's going to be happy. In fact, we have a grandpa Chewbacca, <laughs> you know. They were reinvigorating the holiday special. Yes. By bringing their sensibility to a classic and trope. Let's get those teens in. We'll have Jefferson Starship. <laughs> Like, that is so... No gray slick. That's so bizarre. Like, it's yeah. just was something that feels so of its time, but also is, like, completely lost to time. And also seeing, like, B. Arthur, she has a song in the middle of that, if you've ever seen her song. I, I've only... I watched this in college, but I don't yeah. remember the whole thing. It's, it's very segmented, and it's standalone and weird and sort of a story, but not necessarily. It's, it's a Christmas holiday special, yeah. yeah. And it's funny also because uh, I'm not, like, a big... I mean, I couldn't remember Han Solo's name, so I'm not, like, a huge Star Wars, but I enjoy enjoy the movies but like george lucas is now so known for being like uh like we need to go back and digitally enhance this or make the ewoks blink and like stuff that and then like no matter what there's always this like like sorry man this existed you can't erase that i think he tried to buy up all the copies at some point but it just got out there like i think he realized that was so bizarre yeah we need i mean this needs to be spread as heavily as possible so that's what peter mayhew should be selling like copies of the like good copy because it only exists on you know youtube and it's still a little kind of yeah, oh, this, is, this definitely isn't a high quality yeah. uh, version of it. Yeah, I wonder, man, Peter Mayhew. That's like a that must be a tough thing because this was his. You're right. This is his showcase. Yeah. This is like his big thing. His spinoff. This is, and it could have led to like. Imagine if they had done this every year too. If they made this like the if it was such a hit that they're like the 50th I'm sure Star Wars holiday. Peter Mayhew's agent was telling him that. Like this, this thing's going to come back. Like you know, we're going to do one of these every year. They're, he's like, you know what? You need to really focus on your relationship with your son Lumpy because this is going to be something that kids and their families are really going to be. I love the name Lumpy. Ching, Ching. This is this is bank, Peter. You're going to be so set up. I love that the name Chewbacca is obviously like otherworldly, like, like an alien name, and then they name the kid Lumpy. Lumpy. Because Chewy was his nickname, so like I guess Lumpy. Is... Yeah, and I forget his wife's name. She had a real Chewbacca-like name. I, I want to say Nala, but Nala. Yeah, that's but right. maybe that is, I think that's also from Lion King. Ooh, reference. but I think Nala is close to what she was called, or the grandpa, the 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 grumpy grandpa. Yeah. And and that's another hard thing, like to put up a TV show, no subtitles, uh, fake language, which is just grunting. Like that's the first five minutes of a of a television yeah. show. Hard to pull people in. Um. Well, I thank you so much for uh, coming by to talk about all fun. these all these clips. Um, is there anything 
you want to plug, it doesn't even need to be your thing. You don't even need to be anyone involved, a book, a TV show, a movie, or uh, nothing. What am I into lately or what have I discovered lately? That's a great question. Wow, I seem like I'm not an intelligent... No, that's okay. Somebody turned me on to... I'll say this. It was mentioned a couple episodes ago, but somebody turned me on to a great book about... A fictional book about North Korea that's like a really great book. It's called um, The Orphan Master's Son, I think is what it's called. And it's really great and really... It's really depressing, but it's really well written. Set in North Korea. Set in North Korea, like a guy sort of like going from sort of like different labor or job to different job than to like a work camp. And it's just like, Oh wow. Brutal. But it's It's like that Solzhenitsyn story or whatever. Didn't he write about the gulag gulag archipelago or something? You're plugging it right now. I think there's a similar one. I believe it was Solzhenitsyn. He just wrote about Siberia and getting shifted to different. Oh, I have a book to recommend, which I haven't read for many years, but it's called under the frog by a guy named Tybor Fisher. It's in the same Eastern Bloc sort of feel like communism exploration of a bleak era. This is about a Hungarian national basketball team that during the Soviet bloc era was traveling around playing exhibition basketball games against other Eastern bloc countries. And these guys were like partying and getting laid and drunkards because they had just gotten out of World War II. And this is a true story? This well, no, it's a fiction. It's, I think fictionalized. It's, yes. It's, I believe it's true source the source is probably true but it's a bigger story so they fictionalize it but it's basically about uh guys who were soldiers for hungary or hungarian soldiers they got taken over by uh russia colonized by the communist blocs so then these guys during somewhat peace whatever being their occupation they were playing other eastern bloc countries and just partying and, and just like living like you're a soldier you just saw war they just partied so hard and were like having sex with farmers, you know, wives and stuff, just getting into so much trouble. And then they came back to Hungary when the protest to kick the Russian tanks out of Budapest was happening. So they're like, oh, my God, it's going to happen. We're going to be free again. And, of course, the tanks win. The tanks roll in. And, yeah, yeah, it did not end there. It was yeah, about- it's called Under the Frog. It's a really funny, for most of it, it's a really funny tale of, like, a rowdy bunch of former soldiers who are now basketball players. That sounds awesome, and I yeah. will put that on my reading list. Yeah, it's good. Um, thank you so much, Matt. I really thank appreciate you, it. Good night, but not goodbye. Thank Matt Walsh for uh, joining me for this episode of It's That Episode. It was fun watching all those clips. It was a fun talk, and it was a fun time. Also, thank you to Tempt at Humors for uh, giving that clip, and everybody else who sent clips that we didn't use. I appreciate it, but they weren't as good. You're not as good a person, and I'm sorry, but you're not. You can't think you're as good. You're not as good. Um, I'm kidding, and I love you all deeply as family. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Have a great night and an early manana. Adios, amigos.